previously on Something Who. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed to make Something Who. Hello, I'm Richard and we're back with Something Who podcast where we discuss a couple of Doctor Who stories that question whether the TARDIS is sentient. Mm. First we'll look at first Doctor story, The Edge of Destruction, or Inside the Spaceship, if you prefer, from the very first season. And after that, we'll examine 11th Doctor Caper, the Doctor's Wife, from Series 6. And with me to decide whether these stories offer signs of independent thought or seem more mechanistic, we have writer, raconteur, and missing episodes expert, Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, can, we, can we still say Happy New Year, or are we beyond that point, do you think? Well, I mean... It's new since the last podcast and since we last spoke to each other. So, yes, go for it. Happy New Year. You can't say that now. It's the middle of January. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Next up, we've got science and astronomy writer Giles. Yes, Happy New Year. This is obviously the uh, budget-saving episode where we've we've had to reduce reduce the cast. We're just doing it with the regulars. Oh, God. We've had to amortise the cost of Simon over 13 episodes. (laughs) as long as you don't pad it out with any flashbacks to the last series yeah yeah well look i mean i won't lie but we thought we'd ease our way into 2023 with a couple of fairly short stories uh it certainly minimized the research didn't it yes yes for which i was very thankful (laughs) because i hate doctor who (laughs) (laughs) yeah Okay, so we move on. I mean, I could have chosen Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS or whatever that's called, but that that would be. I, I mean, I mean, firstly, it's not my favourite story from the new series, and secondly, I don't think that's that that's what is the key thing about the Edge of Destruction. If there's, if there's anything about it, it's this sense of of sentience, and I guess the Doctor's Wife by Neil Gaiman and directed by Richard Clarke takes that tiny kernel of an idea and then does something quite extraordinary with it. Does. Yes. And sublime to the ridiculous. Yes, thank mm. God you no, didn't uh, saddle us with Jenny <laughs> to the centre of the tub. <laughs> yeah. And I'll very quickly say, I've only watched it once. Well, I only watched it twice, but the first time was when it came out in 2011 and the second time was yesterday. So yeah, so it was it was relatively fresh with me. Actually, I wasn't all that taken with it the first time I saw it, but I did enjoy it this time. Well, that's good. One of my favourites. Hmm. It's got even more in there than I remembered. I knew it had a lot. I knew hmm. that it had a lot of colour around what I thought was a fairly simple idea. But I'd forgotten. What The one thing I'd forgotten is that extended horror bit where Jamie, uh, Jamie? <laughs> Rory and Amy are, are lost in, uh, trapped in the TARDIS. And hmm. we get a strange little subplot in a completely different tone. Yeah. Which isn't dissimilar to The Edge of Destruction in that he's throwing in lots of ideas, how, how yeah. we can make this as horrific as possible and psychological. And in the space of what must can't be much more than five minutes screen time, does rather more than the 50 minutes we get in Edge. Mm. And that's not even what it's all about, is it? 
That is... Oh, good grief. I'm, I'm spotting connections here between the two. Sorry to leap in before. <laughs> that I didn't no, spot okay. earlier because I didn't make any notes. But, I mean, we actually do get the something evil has invaded the TARDIS, don't we? Yeah. For the second half, we get... It, it seems to be really... It's almost like somebody's looked at Edge of Destruction and thought, what good ideas were set up here and completely botched? And shall I have another go at them now? Hmm. So, the, we get both the TARDIS is sentient and what would happen if something invaded it. Hmm. And, to be fair, resolutions are sort of pulled out of thin air. Yeah. <laughs> I should I should complain that the doc that um, the ultimate solution where the doctor so I've gone I've approached this from completely the wrong end. The fact that you what did the doctor even say? Oh, if you if you try to expel expel a room from the TARDIS that has people in it, they will be returned to the control. Okay. Yes. Now that's the sort of twist that I think it's fair not to have set up earlier. Because it makes sense. It's something you mm. could, not so much guess, but it, it seems logically valid. Yeah. So you don't feel cheated yeah. when, it's, when it comes out of thin air. Yeah, and there's, and there's also been worrying about that ever since Castrovelva, haven't we? Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, I've rushed straight to the end. So where, where does it start, Richard? Giles? <laughs> well, I just, for starters, I was just going to say I'm also a big fan, big fan of it. Haven't seen it for a good long time. I must have watched it a couple of good couple of times shortly after broadcast. Probably haven't seen it since because this is in the midst of series six, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Endearingly straightforward for the middle of series six. Was yes. Before the point where I started to rather go off the boil about Moffat era, who I think so. Yeah, it just packs in an awful lot of ideas. This comes after the pirate one. Yes. That's right. So we get some, we get a little bit of obligatory info dump at the start about the about Lake Silencio, don't we? But oh, do we? Yes. Is that what they're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Do, but nothing do they, about... Sorry. Do they explain where what happened to the um, pirate that disappeared from the middle of the no, <laughs> no. no, we don't get no? any. Matter, oh, that's what don't... you would have had in, in a. Well, we don't get any in a season nineteen we... story. They would have yeah. used <laughs> the beginning of the next week to explain, mop up all the yeah. things they mm. forgot the week before. Yeah, yeah, we don't get any co- um, Schrodinger's pregnancy either, do we? But yeah. on the other hand, maybe maybe that's partly because uh, this was a hangover from Series Five, wasn't it? That they, I think, Moffat commissioned it for Series Five, and then didn't they didn't they move to Series Six because of budget? Well, I remember something being moved for budgetary reasons. It doesn't. Mm. I mean. Uh, it doesn't look cheap. It looks gorgeous, but mm. also it's mostly visual effects, isn't it? Uh, those lovely big backgrounds. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't like to say where the money went because well, I haven't. I remember them filming my... in a quarry, but <laughs> did they? Oh well. Yes. <laughs> it could have been a. Oh well, I mean, it looks lovely, but it could have mm. been a corner of a studio with a big um, blue screen backdrop for all I knew. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. We're not really getting to the heart of it here, are we? My observation on watching it this time is it's it's well directed. It's it's very fast pace. It's there's a proper story in there. There's a bit of continuity. It doesn't drown in it. I mean, it's the sort of thing where I, th- I feel like it's cleverly written because if you're if you're a fan of the show, there's a danger that you're trying to show off that you're a fan of the show, and there's enough so that anyone who watches it knows that whoever's written it is a fan of the show without mm. it being ostentatiously fanny, so to speak. Yes. Mm. Do you mean because it starts with that funny box thing from the War Games, or does it yeah, go beyond that, that? That and then a few other bits and pieces too. Yeah. Yes. 
I think the central, yeah, I and mean, I think the central conceit is, I mean, that's the thing, I'm, I'm no, never quite clear on what level Neil Gaiman is a, is a Doctor Who fan. It's a bit like the question we had with um, Amy's Choice and, um, what's his name, that wrote, um, remember Simon having, Nye? Simon Nye, yeah. It's, it's a sort of reverse question of that, because with Simon Nye, I seem to remember us taking it apart and saying, well, if you're the kind of, that seems to come from such a fanish place of, if you're the, the kind of fan who takes the Doctor apart and does something like the Dream Lord, then hang on, aren't you also the kind of fan that would come back and have a second bite of the cherry? Mm. With Neil Gaiman, I mean, I know you work quite, at least leaned on Steve Manfred, who I think knows him, well, obviously knows him elsewhere, and who is a sometime habitué of Galley Base, and who uh-huh. acted to some extent as a sort of fan consultant, so I suspect he's more of a hardcore fan. Presumably that means Neil Gaiman isn't the kind of hardcore fan that is going to be plucking completely obscure references out of nowhere without a little bit of encouragement and reminding mm-hmm. of relevant points. But I mean, I think the, yeah, the fundamental thing is that the idea of uh, wouldn't it be good if the Doctor got to have a conversation with the TARDIS, and that's where it all mm-hmm. comes from, and that comes from a place of fairly deep fanishness, doesn't it? It's interesting. I think as you join together what you both said, it it's a sort of um, idea you can imagine a, a brand new writer who had no idea about the programme whatsoever, but maybe just in a handful of episodes, and a pick might come up with, picking up on the idea the TARDIS is supposed to be. Possibly thinking that they were pushing that idea further. Possibly thinking, well, it feels in the programme like the TARDIS has a mind of its own, and the Doctor was talking about it as though it does, so why don't I make that literally true? Not realising that, that it is actually established in the program but mm. has never been explored mm. more a sort of running gag so yeah it's the best of both worlds isn't it we get mm. to i <laughs> i don't think i'd have been able to re- resist putting in a one having the doctor say what was all that business about when you were showing me stop <laughs> children's drawings of galaxies why don't you just <laughs> you can be really obtuse at times tardis <laughs> if we were actually be able to talk properly like this before we could have Saved a whole yes, heap of trouble. You keep giving me pains in the back of the neck. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. Yes, it's, and it, and yes, it sort of flirts with bits of vague bits of continuity, doesn't it? The last of the time world stuff. Yeah. Toying with the Doctor's hope that there might be more out there, and then mm. having that dashed. That all works quite nicely. Mm. Toying with a, a bubble universe. I guess that's you know we all think oh what like e space. Mm. But in, mm. but actually, we got a fun analogy to a soap bubble instead, which is better. Yeah, I think yeah. So far, so as far as I can gather, it the whole thing came from. Actually, it's funny that you say because the first thing you brought up was the horror stuff that you've you'd forgotten about Paul. So apparently, mm. that was that was like the genesis of the that was like the first image. Good Lord, from the story. Because like, you, you sort of, not in a bad way, but I sort of got the impression that might mm. have been, it looks like the B-plot. It is mm. the B-plot. And yeah. so you might think it's made up, as with a lot of writers, he's invented a new character so strong that he wants to pair that character off with the Doctor for this episode. Mm. So then the companions have to go somewhere else and either you write them mm. out and it's a it's a companion light story or you can't come and give them a plot on their own. And it feels to me like something invented to justify their presence. Mm. But so, so apparently, this is according to Shannon Patrick um, Sullivan, who is Shannon Sullivan, who's presumably it's like Shannon Patrick Sullivan. Okay. Um, <laughs> so picking that up from presumably from Complete History and various other 
archives it's usually fairly well researched stuff so allegedly Gaiman's original idea was to have a plot in which the Doctor was going to be pursued through the TARDIS the TARDIS would become a labyrinthine death trap mm-hmm. for the Doctor and that got so the, the idea was the TARDIS was possessed mm-hmm. by something so again this is the edge of destruction you know the, the idea that doesn't happen you mean like it. an animal or a man? Oh, a man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that raised the question of where did the Tardis's where where had the Tardis's conscience, as it were, gone while this was happening? So that gave the idea of transferring uh-huh. the Tardis out into a hmm. into into a form, and then and then the Doctor's knowledge of you know, and then he dips the idea that the Doctor would be the one that was in in the labyrinth because it was more interesting if it was the companion slash S mm. companions. And these, these discussions, this back and forth, is this happening between Gaiman and Moffat? Because you would ima- imagine that's why so much of it feels quite Moffaty. Mm. The whole, I mean, well, particularly the, idea, you know, the sexy TARDIS stuff. Mm. I believe Neil Gaiman, and I'm sorry if I'm getting ahead, but he, he a, lot, a lot of people were... Suspicious he might have been rewritten here, but I think in later years he said that he did write all of this. Mm. He's very keen to stress that by comparison with his other story, which he didn't. Which right. is why, as he, as he pithily put it, one of them was good and the other one wasn't. Mm. So it, it is how it feels to me. Like um, it got dragged in a certain direction through discussions with mm. the showrunner, mm. but then still brought to the screen and filtered solely through Mr. Gaiman. It's a wonder, great mixture, and a shame they couldn't pull it off a second time. Mm. It's not a million miles away from Amy's choice that you were just discussing, you know, that, because we, which also happens inside the TARDIS. But yeah, I mean, obviously, the ultimate story is a bit different. For, but that sort of initial idea of the labyrinth thing isn't isn't, isn't a million miles away from it. Mm. Yeah, and it's a shame when they finally dedicate an entire story to that conceit and put it in the title. That they produce something so bland and forgettable that I can't mm. remember something about androids. Completely throw it away, don't they? Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Sort of red dwarf knockoff. Suppose it would be cool. I'll have to take your word for that. I can't remember. I, I just remember hey. it's got that got that most ridiculous conceit of the that the brothers have been telling the brother that he's an android. Hmm. Oh right. When he's not. Oh how is he played by Milton Johns? <laughs> <laughs> I know one of that. No, it's old um, Ashley Kiss of Death. Um, uh, Ashley Kiss of Death Waters. Well, I don't know what we're going to pair that with, but um, mm. maybe Logopolis. Anyway, never we mind. Can... Back to, back <laughs> to <laughs> wait a long, long time for that. I'm doing. I'm doing Mr. Game a disservice. Uh, apparently, the War Games was uh, one of his favourite stories. So he yeah, he right. came up with oh, the right. idea. Of the, Sorry, the I, do, I remember that. I, yeah. But yes, yeah, it does feel like it's. Um... I mean, obviously. Because it's this period, Rory dies again. Mm. As, as usual, it doesn't last very long. No. Uh, this time, it's actually a fake out. Yeah. Rather than just pretending to be a fake out. No, hang on, pretending to be real <laughs> and turning out to be a fake. I don't know. But yeah. Well, the good thing is at least it doesn't ex- it doesn't play us in that regard. We That's are in. Right. I think we're, no violin we're in on the we're in on the joke. Yeah, we're in on yes. the it, well, not a not a joke, but we're in on the fact that no, this is a horror movie scenario. So we. Yeah, yeah, we we fully expect that this isn't really happening because it's all it's mm. all turned weird, and we're inside the TARDIS. So, so we're not we're not you know thank God we're not we're not expected to emote along with Amy 
in this case, unlike, unlike at the end of Black Spot. Yeah. It's fun that we actually get to see another console room. Because, I mean, it's not like the story is promising us um, a trip down memory lane. But obviously, once you go down anywhere down that route, a story in, in and about the TARDIS, then it becomes a possibility. And of mm. course, it could have been gone down the Asylum of the Daleks route and promises old Daleks and then just shown us all the new ones again. Yeah. Yes. So it's, that's a lot of fun. And I wonder where that came from. I mean, presumably, it's so hinges on, on the fact they actually had that set. Yes. Do you start from somebody saying, well, we have still got that. Maybe we could use it. Or does Neil go and write it in, not realising that they, what, a, what a big ask it is and how what a stroke of luck it would be that they could pull it off? Mm. Anyway, yeah. Could only have been better if it's in the very first one, but we have to wait a bit longer for that, don't we? Yes. Ah, true, yes, yeah. It's, well, that's, I remember at the time fully expecting we were going to get the, we were going to get the Mask of Mandragora version, <laughs> oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> Oh, it dear. Came up. It's a good job I don't write it. You'd have done that, Paul, Well, now I'd have had the doctor walk into that tenant at uh, the Eccleston mm. room and say, oh, look, it's... And speak, everyone say, this is really impressive. And he goes, no, it's, it's warped a bit in storage. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it looks so much better than this. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm, yeah. God. <laughs> I mean, it's, the story starts off very offbeat, like a good version of Edge of Destruction, in that yes. the... The other characters are weird, but the Doctor and his companions are, are playing it perfectly normal, mm. or mostly normal. So yes, yeah, so, so, so then they're in a weird place, but they're not acting weird in a weird place, so there's some reality to it. Both stories create a sense of mystery, which goes beyond just a normal mystery, as in what's going on, And but mm. it is has that extra level of things not connecting, mm. people saying random things, yes. random mm. visuals, but it keeps... They're interesting enough, they keep you engaged, and they pay off quickly enough that you don't, mm. at any point, ever start to think, I don't think they're going to pull all this together. Mm. And um, I like, I'm a sucker for those sort of potpourri stories. Um, the, the junkyard environment, uh, mm. <laughs> which is then turns out to be mirrored with the junkyard characters. Mm. They go yeah. like a comedy brain of Morbius. I mean, it's, yeah. they really try to find line with those two, don't they? I mean, even when they die... Is it supposed to be funny or tragic or horrific mm. or a little bit of all of them? It's it's it's, it's about as perfunctory as death ever gets in Doctor Who, isn't it? I mean, it, I mean it, it's literally well, we've got no further use for these characters. Yeah, so. it's <laughs> almost like somebody, it's a writer acknowledging that that's probably on the lazy side. But if you hang a lampshade on it, as the young people yes. say, mm. then you can get away with it and move on. Yeah, if, if I have one. Uh, it's hard to know what you'd do instead. It, it feels a bit perfunctory that you know it's a bit, it's a bit too easy. The fact that the Doctor quickly just right, I'm going to take the TARDIS outside of the universe, and like promptly, mm. promptly does this in you know in the pre-titles sequence to reach this place, and the, the idea that there might be t- might be time lords in another universe and all do these we, things that have been. Do we think? Because oh, I was wondering, uh, I, I keep thinking, why why do they go into another universe? And it's only for, it's only for the so you can have time lords, isn't it? It's not. It doesn't really add anything to the story. Mm. It's not essential that House is a being from a small bubble universe, and the threat being what would happen if he gets unleashed in our universe. I mean, yes, because because they've gone down that route, they make that seem like mm. the threat. Mm. But it's not essential to the story. So it makes me think that that was only written in. Yeah, I think it's it's only there because like by somebody pointing out, you know, Neil Gaiman asking for time balls and somebody saying well we've established that there aren't any 
I mean, mm. and I'm surprised they even bothered to explain it, but they normally wave, hand wave that away, wouldn't, mm. wouldn't you? Yeah. In the traditional continues all very well, but don't let it get in the way of telling a good story. Mm. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, besides, it can't be that can, hard There to can get be no to. Time Lords up until the point where there are Time Lords, as, yeah. we've, <laughs> as we've established with Fob Watchers by... Well, quite. Yeah. Yeah, frankly. Um. Yes. As we're in a post-Fob Watch era, you're right. You don't mm. need any... You certainly yes. don't need to leave the universe to explain why there might yes. still be one left. Mm. Mm. But it can't be that hard to leave the universe because all those other Time Lords have got there too. Yes, yeah. In their Tardises. Well, maybe this is the fourth universe. Maybe Quinn is yes. just around yeah, the corner. Maybe it's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably a, well, a well-worn path. Mm. Well, they didn't really well, lose the Tardis there, didn't they? Ah. What? <laughs> Pardon? Well, they, they did nearly lose the TARDIS on Quinnis. Oh, the yes. The universe. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's a oh. deep cut for you. I'm not writing that <laughs> down. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, Mark, Platt, Mark Platt's been there now, so we can't. Um, we can't. Yeah. yeah, he did that before this was. We can't turn it into House. Ah, damn. What a shame. Yeah. Mm. Michael Sheen's pretty well, no. good, isn't he? Yeah, it should have been. Just thought it should have been Hugh Laurie. But um, <laughs> well, he is very yes. good, but he's also mm. kind of wasted. I mean, yes, you, I'm glad he got somebody good for it, but mm. uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose that's all you can say, isn't it? Mm. He's only wasted if that means he can never be in the program again. Yes, and it, do- yeah. it doesn't mean that. So, so it's a no, this is this is kind of the good thing about I apologize. it. Apologise. They've got a good performance. Mm. You know, it's a quite silkily menacing, a good mm. performance, and also doesn't mean, doesn't mean we've yeah you know, we've we've used up our <laughs> We've used to have had go on Michael Sheen now. Um, Someone's surprised he hasn't been back yet, but who knows? Mm. Maybe he'll be back in the specials. Well, I mean, if that, if that we had four goes at Philip Maddox suggests that it wouldn't have mattered if he'd shown his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's quite nice as well in the middle in the middle of um, uh, series six. And you've already re- really said this, but I'll just take it a little bit further that that you get away from this whole heavy arc, and it and, you know it, it's mm. a story. It's a story unto itself, and it is—it's it, quite separate. Um, it's probably—it's probably almost as separate a story as you're going to get in this era. You know, there's, there's a next time trailer which mentions what's going to happen, and, and as you say, there's a very slight mention of the of the lake at the very start. But really, mm. the pirate one was actually moved in this series. But it, it feels like this could have happened at any point. There's, there's very little that sort of tethers it to the arc at all. Mm. Yeah, they um they go on about their bedroom, don't they? Is that supposed to be presaging the fact that they, there's hanky panky in the TARDIS? Amy and Rory. Oh, I see. Mm. And, yes, uh, I wondered about that. And the yeah, doctor, and they say they don't want the bunk beds this time. Mm. Yeah. Which I assume is a supposed to get us thinking that they're along with a certain train of thought. Mm. Mm. Clearly, the bunk beds haven't stopped them so far. No, no. Is this is this the story about which Moffat famously said he liked a slutty title on a Doctor for a Doctor Who to get some publicity in? Oh, because um, it is the one of the most shameless. Although on the other hand, it's pretty much a tie with the Doctor's daughter, isn't it? And it's obviously riffing on that. Mm-hmm. So it's like he set himself the challenge to see if he can come up with something equally tenuous, mm. but uh, attention grabbing. But then didn't uh, this is the one that um. This is the one that J and T infamously oh, wrote on, wrote right. on his well, wrote on his whiteboard. If it's actually referencing that rather than, hmm. I think it's doing both. 
but somehow, that's a very deep I mean, it, cut, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of weird that this is in that it it comes in the series when when the Doctor has an actual wife. Yes, yes, it, it is, isn't it? Weird mm. is one word for it. Mm. But uh, but thankfully, we don't have to worry about that too much. Mm. No. Yeah, it doesn't get a look in. Why doesn't the Ood have red eyes when it goes evil? That's what they're supposed to do. It's the whole point of Oods, that they, mm. they're green mm. until they're red. Yeah. Especially, even if it's just that last scene in the TARDIS when it's stalking our heroes. It's still mm. it's still green for go. Mm. Just thought I'd mention it. Mm. What happens to the Ood? Uh, it gets evaporated and they breathe in its molecules. Sorry. Squished for by cheap the joke. arriving console. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doctor doesn't seem remotely upset about it. No. They give him that line, one more ood I failed to save. And uh, for, once, <laughs> for once, the infallible Matt Smith doesn't seem to quite know what to do with that. So he sort mm-hmm. of throws it away like a, as it's, if it's a joke, because it's obviously not supposed to be sincere pathos. But what, I don't know what the hell it's supposed to mean. <laughs> it rather makes light of all the previous stories that were rather more mm. heartfelt. Anyway, never mind that. Never mind. Mm. Uh, Saran Jones is good, isn't she? Yeah. She certainly is. She'll go far, that girl. Yeah. I mean, good even in the first scene, but but yeah, sort of mm. you know, definitely picks up thereafter. Yeah. Do they establish where these other people are coming from? Because they've mostly lured time lords there. So do other other spacefaring beings occasionally land on this planet, or I must mean, be very occasionally if they've had if he's if House has been forced to keep Uncle and Auntie going way past their lifespan mm. but then presumably Saran Jones has joined them more recently yes because she hasn't had any upgrades anything to say on that? well it feels a bit bizarre doesn't it you'd have thought that he'd have used one of the Time Lords because they could regenerate rather than having to keep grafting Catching body parts onto yes. the other ones mm. oh my but I don't god know. the whole thing's just falling apart in front of my eyes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't worry about that. No, he's taken... But he has used bits of time, hasn't he? Because he's used yes. the Corsair's arm. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we're back in Brain of Morbius territory, as in, why not why take the Doctor's brain and put it into Chop Suey, the mm. intergalactic um, Frankenstein, this monster, when you could yes. just put Morbius's brain in the Doctor's body? We're back there again. Yes. Why? Mm. Yeah, why not keep these time balls rather than carving random limbs off them? Oh, God, this is a terrible story, Richard. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. Bring back David Whittaker. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think it need. Uh, I mean, given, given that Harris is busy doing the same thing as Solon, I think we, we'll, we'll give him a pass. So it's, it's obviously a, 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 a common trait throughout the universe. But then People does, like carving up bits of Time Lord. But does House feed on Time Lords or on TARDISes? I think it's Tardises. just Tardis, Tardine. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the Time Lords are only a, a, a byproduct, right? Okay, because because they're piloting the. Um... Mm. Yeah, just wondering. Does mm. get a little bit mixed up with the whole idea of the Matrix being inside the. We should probably be grateful they didn't um, didn't throw in the Eye of Harmony as well. That didn't get mentioned in there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the Matrix reference seems slightly out of place. It seems yes. a bit TV TV movie the way that Yes, yeah. Exactly. Oh, see, that what, that's what you just said, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sorry. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I see. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I hadn't even associated it with the, the Matrix on Gallifrey. I just sort of... 
I don't know. I just thought it was thrown in as a as a sort of term. I kind of presume you're not. You know, I, I that's the thing. I kind of presume you're not meant to. Maybe, maybe as a sort of the personality matrix or whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe that's that's the danger of being a fan looking at these things and go. Oh, you said the matrix. And yeah. So, it's, it's the what is it? Is the panoptronic matrix or something? The the one in Deadly Assassin. I can't remember. Uh, oh Lord. Uh, Anyway, it's got some, yeah, some panatromic amplified panatropic net, mm. right? Is what Thank it's you. called in that story, and then it's mistakenly called the Matrix thereafter, mm. I believe. Okay, yeah. I liked all the stuff where uh, Idris is in conversation with the doctor, talking partly in ter- responding to things he's going to say in the future, where yes. very economically gets across the idea that she's existing in more than just this current moment. It feels a bit Moffaty in a good, uh, hmm. in the sense that it's up, it's Neil Gaiman's imagination, yeah. but fitting the tone of the program he's writing for, rather than feeling like somebody's desperately thinking. Now, what is Steve Moffat like? He likes all that time yeah. stuff, doesn't mm. he? I'll, I'll try and write like that. See, that's interesting because, you know, if, if you if when you start talking about eternal people, I mean, people who live outside time, I mean, that's the sort of thing they would do because. You know, time would have no meaning, and all things would be happening simultaneously, or it would it would sort of feel like that to them, or mm. or, or that at least this, the strict chronology that we see wouldn't necessarily have a bearing. But we don't see very much of that in Doctor Who, do we? No, because it's difficult. Yeah, and even you know, writers who enjoy that sort of thing, like Mister Moffat himself, can come a cropper when they try and extend that kind of narrative over too long a period which is why mm. I think it works well to do it dive in like here for a few do it yes. for a few minutes and get mm. out again having yeah. made yes. got the impact you want because yeah. of course if, if that's true then Idris will know what her ultimate end, end is won't she so, so she'd probably be you'd then have a different story where she'd be guiding the doctor through this adventure she'd know where it's going and telling him what he needs to do and stop mm. waiting but instead it's played for laughs and you you haven't said that yet well you will do rather than mm. If I guess that is the difference. If it had been Moffat, she would have been constantly, she would have been pushing the story forward, driving the plot by getting the Doctor where he needed to be to do particular things, mm. which she doesn't. She seems mm. quite baffled by <laughs> by the way he lives his life. Mm. But isn't it lovely? That also feels like him as well in that sort of fairy tale fashion. I well, that's the thing. This is I stole of Time story. Lord. I mm. stole of Time Lords so I went off to see the universe. Mm. Yeah. It's it was perfect. It should be too contrived to work, and mm. yet when you when you try and retcon <laughs> something from as far back as that so thoroughly, mm. but it's so simple and elegant that it just works perfectly. Mm. Which is why it was annoying when um when Moffat went and to <laughs> some extent trod on it with the Clara, the whole mm. nonsense with the Clara splinter. Yes, pointing the Doctor at the um. Oh dear. Mm. He had it. He had it there, and he obviously mm, presumably didn't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we've also got the line: "People are bigger on the inside" as well, which is quite nice. Mm, yes, which I think was the um, "big on the inside" was the was the title for the story for a very long time. Ah. Was the working title? Right. Yes, I think I'd have liked that until they. Um, yeah, I think they eventually ditched it because they felt like it gave away too much of what the story was about. Yes, yes which doing the, doing the Doctor's Wife, having, yeah, I guess that's, the, <laughs> this is also a place where you can get away with doing the Doctor's Wife because you've done the Doctor's Daughter a couple of years before. 
mm. and there's been no great ground shaking fan you know it's not not been any canon re- redefining you know moments and also you have got the doctor with a with a wife with river song going on yeah. so so you could overlook a title like the doctor's wife to some extent this is a, it's the doctor's third wife really isn't it mm, yes at least um, After there we go. Mrs. Hu and yes. Kamika. Uh, well, no, she they, did they get married? No, they didn't really get married. <laughs> engaged. Mm. Mm. Fourth wife. Mm. <laughs> the present Mrs. Who. <laughs> Terry Wogan would have said, I had to point out the impression I was doing in the classic style. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't realised. I mean, it. Matt Smith's wearing goggles at some point, and I think, oh, those look rather like this, the goggles that J.D. Whittaker wears. And I, I must say, when she, when she puts them on in um, which, whichever her first story mm. was, The Woman Who Fell to Earth, it seemed entirely new, and yet, obviously, Good it's Lord. a thing. Yeah, Goggles. Mm. Good point. I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is, I mean, you wouldn't want Doctor Who to be like this every week, but when it is like this, you, it's very hard to complain. I think it's, yeah definitely gets the right balance of fanishness and continuity whoring and mm. producing something witty and sparkling for the general public and the new and the new audience mm. and he gets that perfect yeah yeah i don't feel like it demands that you know all that much it's fully yeah it's yeah i'm only repeating what you said it's full mm. of little morsels for the likes of us but i don't think it, it manages to Manages to tread that fine number is intelligible mm. for the not we, I guess. Mm. And I guess build your own TARDIS out of the junk is is um, irresistible. Giles, you were saying before we started recording what the genesis of that aspect of it. Yeah, was. well, this is the absorbable of Mark II that it's the um, it's a Blue Peter competition ah. design, which I completely forgotten about. But, right. um, but nice bit of good old you know traditional BBC cross promotion there. They ran a design a TARDIS console competition and uh, based the design on the winning winning entry and then went went on to market character options, action figure sets and who knows what. I'm not sure whether anyone was on royalties for that. <laughs> probably not. You probably had to sign over all your rights. But um, mm. yeah, yeah, it's fun. Have we hit the usual issue here, the which is that we can talk forever about a thing we don't like yep. and then we, we find what we, we like, we, uh, we find, we're, we're finding it harder to... Um, to say things about it. I mean, it, it, I suppose we should talk about the acting since we spent such a long time talking about the acting in the previous one. I mean, while well, you, you've already mentioned that you liked um, Surround Jones, I think with Matt Smith, it's an it, 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 there's a slightly tricky story arc because he's, you might say, he's a bit irresponsible, or the Doctor is a bit irresponsible, and he's a bit high-handed as well, getting rid of, of um, Amy and Rory. Mm. But, I mean... It's it's very it's very nicely done by Matt Smith. You you fully believe in the Doctor act. You know has, has got uh, excited and carried away and hasn't hasn't for some reason got his antennae quite uh, attached this week and, and and isn't sniffing out any danger. Yep, and it tantalises us with the idea of a whole series of adventures of the Corsair, which we will never yeah. mm. never get to see. Or will. Yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they can, if they can extrapolate those adventures from that one arm, forearm that we see. Yeah. Then I'm in. Mm. Mm. Yes, uh, 
they're they're well armed mm. for that. Yes, yeah, I, th- I think it's not in the absolute. I mean, they're, they're, everyone's very good. I wouldn't say it's in the absolute top echelon of Matt Smith's performances. Mm. To some extent, I don't quite think the script asks as many things of him as some of the stuff in. I think some of the stuff we looked at in series five maybe mm. does where he really um you see everything going off. I don't think there's really anything that really stretches some muscles and asks him to do the old man kind of thing or anything like that. But but it is nevertheless very very good. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean I think for Arthur Darville, I mean he's, he's it's one of those encounters actually where Rory has something to do and doesn't seem preposterous. She sometimes does. Sometimes, sometimes seems either, you know, a weak character or or a purely for laughs. Mm. In this one, he seems you know, he's playing it. It's a more realistic. Yeah, uh, the responsibility is divided up quite nicely between him and Amy. Um, he yeah. is very focused when he gets um, when he accidentally gets uh, tasked with to guide them to the old control room. Oh yes, and he yeah, follows that yeah. through. Doesn't bollocks anything up gets them there and then Amy has to take over remembers the, the code but Amy has to take over and use some intuition mm. <laughs> oh dear yeah. <laughs> just like just like Barbara she yeah. has to think outside the mm. box and work out and do the proper companion thing but they each get a slice of the pie which is mm. what you want rather than her being competent and him trailing along falling over mm. and pulling faces you don't want that so I believe that because this was scheduled it was originally going to be episode 11 of series five, so right. that was the lod- the slot that became the lodger, I believe. Uh-huh. And so, on account of that, they had to. Obviously, that was that was written for a point where Rory wasn't an issue. Presumably, they had it all mapped out that Rory was not going to be a travelling companion at that point. Anyway, so mm-hmm. so he then had to be written back into this, into the uh-huh. you know, and obviously added to the labyrinth scenes. Very odd. And um, yeah, how would they, how would they work with Amy on her own? I give you, give you well, a clue. They wouldn't. Hmm. You've been sold a pup there. That's, that's clearly not true, Giles. Hmm? Don't people make up some rubbish? You'd think that as this was more recent, people would actually be reliable, right? unlike the <laughs> poor baffled contributors to the edge of destruction. But uh, <laughs> apparently well, not. No, I don't well, believe it. Well, it does. It does. Beg the Pixar question. didn't happen. But <laughs> Uh, where is it? Okay, let me... Unless it's a bigger rerun. I'll find you the exact damn quote. Uh, unless it's on... Okay, Neil Gaiman interview about... What about... Writing Doctor Who from Simon... Simon, um... Simon Brew writing on Den of Geek in 2011. This is... This is Wikipedia, but at least it's sourced. In the original draft where Amy was the only companion, Gaiman added a heartbreaking monologue by the character... Further stating, you get to see what it's like to be the companion from the companion's point of view, and she got to talk about essentially in that version how sad it is in some ways. One day, well, something will happen. She'll get married. She'll get eaten by monsters. She'll die. She'll get sick of it. But he'll go on forever. Hmm. That's um, oh well. At a certain point, Gaiman became tired of rewriting drafts, and asked Moffat for help. Moffat added some what Gaiman called several of the episode's best lines, and did some rapid rewrites. When budget problems harmed filming locations, huh. but yes, no, I, I agree with that. I don't think it would have worked as well with just Amy on her own in the TARDIS. I think I think the, the having the having the pair of them it works very well indeed. I think yeah. if you if you do if you had her on her own, 
you just turn it into the House of, House of Jack build. <laughs> retread that again. Well, apart from annoying Neil Gaiman, I think it probably came out for the best that it waited then, don't you? The show that waited. Mm. Mm. Yes. Hurrah. Mm. <laughs> you, you got any other gems from the depths of the internet, Charles? Uh, no, that's... That's <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm all out of... Uh, okay. All out gems. Of gems, yeah. Uncut gems. Mm. I've, I've had some thoughts about links between the stories. I mean, other... Uh, well, some of them we've already discussed. Some of them are obvious. Mm. I mean, if we start with the obvious... There's a bit of TARDIS beyond the main control room, but actually not that much in either, you know, in, 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 in a sense. You get the old control room, I suppose, in this, and also those sort of weird hexagonal corridors, but it, it's not really a story that's about exploring the TARDIS, it's about the story that's exploring the TARDIS's psyche. And similarly, really, the, the Edge of Destruction doesn't explore anything that we don't see in other parts of the first season one way or another yep as you said paul earlier on both stories are very simply resolved but i think we you know we've made the point that probably the the second one is rather more satisfactory than the first we've also got this sort of um division between the doctor and companions so you know in the first one it's about putting the teachers off the ship in the second one he sends the the companions off he sort of i mean it's not entirely clear is it i i, I think the intent the suggestion is he's he's sent them back to the ship because they're going to be safe there but there's also this sense in which also he wants to be able to do what he wants to do without anyone interfering the, the, there's a there's a slight dichotomy i think which isn't necessarily fully clear as to why he wants to be on his own and certainly, obviously, it puts them in peril, as it turns out. Um, I've already mentioned the fact that, that the weird acting in the second story is confined to the weird characters, so it's <laughs> which makes it much more palatable. Yes, that's true. And the um, the communication of the TARDIS, I suppose we're, we're, we're supposed to believe in the first story that the TARDIS is communicating with them and struggling a little bit, gets a bit lost in translation, but eventually makes itself understood, possibly, to Barbara. And I suppose similarly in this one, the, it takes a while for the, the TARDIS as in, uh, implanted in Idris to, to make herself understood or, or to understand the limitations, perhaps, of the of the temporal realm, but, but she gets there in the end. And I think we've, we've probably found some other links that we've discussed along the way, too. Mm. Mm. Well, it's not a direct link to this series, but in Edge of Destruction, you also get the idea of the the power source underneath the yep. underneath the central column, and obviously yep. that gets picked up picked up big time by Russell T in in series Parting one. In sorry, Parting of the Ways, and and in Deep Boomtown, yes, yeah, we're both. Oh, and, um, right, mm. yes. Proved to be fertile ground that little story, didn't it? Yeah, a fever dream of David Whittaker's. Well, you know, and that's the thing; it is packed with a lot of good ideas. And I must, um, one thing that was, you know, spinning around my head vaguely was I was, I was thinking, okay, so are all Tardises conscious, or is it just this one? Hmm. Is this one special in some way? But uh, you know, I don't know. That was another. And I was thinking, oh, is there something else in in the Tardis with? And could you write a story about that? Is there something? that's infected the TARDIS or 
something similar that got on board it. Oh. Yes, yeah, it's it's full of yeah. It certainly has seeded a lot of better ideas and later stories, or better executed ideas and later stories, and Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. <laughs> 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 I think one thing that caught me slightly unawares, the Doctor in this seems very casual about, you know, casually throwing around the fact that, you know, that he was responsible for killing, mm. the, killing the Time Lords, mm. effectively, you know, sort of pushing the button. Uh, did we know that at the time? It's quite, because I mean, he, and I remember that line about, oh, you know, fear me, I killed all of them, mm. you know, when, he, when he's sort of facing up to House, but he mentions it. In a slightly offhand way beforehand, doesn't he? As well, when they're just wandering around after they've arrived at I the bet, start. I bet that line's moth, so maybe though maybe those the fact that it's particularly on the nose here comes from his draft. Yeah. I'm trying to work out I'm trying to remember what the um, what the line was again now. Uh... Yeah. Well and and certainly in in this story we don't get the endless uh, opening and shutting of the doors very slowly mm. so, so there's, that's got that going for it too <laughs> although I suppose it's is this the first time that we've come across the idea in Edge of Destruction that the TARDIS doors opening while it's still in flight would be a kind of worrying thing um, yes, I, yes probably. Yeah, it must be although when it finally happens it, all they do is get reduced in height to an inch right so oh, does that happen in is that what, does th- it happen in under the Giants I, th- I think so is that? I think that was the explanation. That's what, in my head. That's the explanation for what happened to oh. Planet Giants. And um, is it in the finished version or just in the? Oh, so long since <laughs> I've seen that. I'm really not qualified yeah. with this podcast. Bad. Am I? Bad fan. Yeah. I was thinking something similar happened in the Web Planet, thanks to that old Animus. Hmm. Mm. <sighs> yes, again, lots of very satisfactory visuals. Of course, he caught me slightly by surprise with the. Um, I've forgotten the bit with the hovering cube at the start, and the fact that the Doctor very casually goes over. It's the idea of saying knocking on the door of the TARDIS when it's in flight is quite good. You know, it's again good, but then that's thrown away sort of with a little hovering box. But it's fun though. It's a good little throwaway gag. Just to salvage my reputation, I'm now just looking at the beginning of Planet of Giants and one minute 19 seconds in the doors open in flight ah, and uh, okay. they will they'll rush to try and close them and that okay. is the explanation given I ah. don't know if there's some sort of pseudoscience about the atmospheric pressure having the doors open during flight is what would you what makes them shrink or if I've just invented that <laughs> or maybe my, child, my childish brain invent added uh, that but yes that's okay yes yes mm-hmm. they, they all rush so. over close the doors Doctor Who mops his brow and they think that that's uh, that they've saved the day but Okay. At, at what cost? Mm. And little do they know, it's going to lead them to one of the most startling and frightening and exciting adventures yet. Mm. Yeah, and probably quite costly with all those um, sets. Yeah, mm. and finally get Sydney off Ver- Sydney Newman off Verity's back about doing the minuscule story. They should they should have <laughs> stuck it in here because if they cut it to t- down to two episodes, it might actually have been half decent. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I, I mean, I, I, I guess in which case you've probably said all that we can that can be said, or all that we can say, anyway. All that should be said. Mm. Oh, yeah. no, we passed that some way back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so look, go on. Thank you. It was a good link. 
I'm amazed that there are still links of this quality mm. 70 episodes in. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of those things where it was partly extremity. I mean, I, I, and I wasn't joking at the start when I said I was looking for something that, that we could, do, you know, we didn't have to do an awful lot of research. So I was looking, I was thinking of two-part stories mm. from the original series. and But then, yeah, it was just kind of lodged in my head as being um, an interesting one. So, yeah, mm. good. Yeah. Okay, and look, if you've, if by some miracle you've made it to this point in the podcast, thank you for listening <laughs> to Something Who, to our, our, our discussions of these two series. And if, if you if you enjoy what we do, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Yep. And there's there's plenty of other episodes which are you know just as good as this one, which you can listen to if you haven't already while you're waiting for the next one to come along. So. Uh, so yeah, so 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 please help us with that, and and also please tell people who might be inter- interested in listening, whether that's friends, family, colleagues, neighbours, or you know random strangers on the internet. So look, thanks, Paul and Giles, for for your for your comments to your company. It's uh, it's been a a good and interesting discussion. Yeah, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, a fun way to kick off 2023 for for this podcast. Yep. Got a good feeling about this year. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've got a nice long run up to do a few more before before they are pestering us with any actual new product or watch any new who yeah yes it's it's a year that's um that's structured to allow us to um (laughs) do as much of the uh, mining of the old as we want Mm. okay i'm gonna click stop end i think stop yeah